Hey, good morning. That was pretty good. Let's try it again. Good morning. Again, I'm Eddie Passmore, along with my wife, uh, Margarita, and I'm going to introduce our interns that are here. Uh, we got MJ right there, or Antonio in Mexico, uh, Xavier or Javier, Max or Marcos, and uh, they've been up here. Um, we came up yesterday, hanging out together. Um, I've been to Mexico. Uh, my wife and I have been the daily operation directors uh, for the last 19 years. And uh, last year, the board gave me a, uh, gave us a fancy title called executive directors. We don't know what that means yet, but it's a title called executive directors. And uh, now we have a new daily operation director, Spencer and Ca well, two Spencer and Cassidy uh, Hoyt. And uh, Spencer was our intern about 12 years ago. So who knows, in about 12 years, ago, 12 years from now, one of those guys could be directing. But um, anyway, uh, that's what's going on. So we're still working with Mexico Caribbean Ministries. I'm also, uh, right now, two days a week, helping another ministry in Mexico called Spectrum. And I'm an interim director there, uh, two days a week, and just trying to balance the balls. So it is great to be here. I love this church. This church has supported us in a lot of different ways. Financially, when things got tough during COVID, and we really appreciate them helping us out financially, helping you helping us out financially, and sending groups down. You've sent um, some of your students down to be interns, and we really appreciate Mike and Linda. Are um, I love Mike. I the joke yes yesterday to my staff was that we'll wait how long before Mike breaks down and cries, and it wasn't very long, so it was good. I just love it. It just does my heart well. So. Uh, what a tender man and what a great man. So great family and uh, really supports us and loves us well. So anyway, that's us. That's what's going on. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump into it. I'll get you out of here by noon. Um, I, maybe. Um, anyway, let's try it and we'll keep going. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you for uh, today. Thank you for this video that we just watched. Thank you for caring for us. Your mercy and your grace uh, and your love abounds for us. May we take that and use that in our lives as we go on. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You heard, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, either zealous goers or zealous senders. Or we're disobedient. Uh, those aren't my words. Those are John Piper's, but I, I buy into them. I think they're right. Um, but I want to talk about some statistics today, and hopefully this is time for you to take out your little outlines. There's some things to fill in, and uh, some will take a little longer, and then we'll zip through a few of them and get them filled out for you. But um, there's about 7 billion people in the world. And that's what they say, give or take 1,000. If you want to figure out exact number, give me a call. But uh, let's say 7 billion. And out of that 7 billion, they say there's 2 billion Christians. But out of that 2 billion Christians, they say there's 1 billion nominal Christians that show up to church once in a while or call themselves Christians because they show up to church or their parents were Christians and say, or I live in the United States, and they use those reasons that I'm a Christian. But then they say there's 1 billion on-fire Bible-believing believers that care about God's um, gospel going out to other people. So that leaves us 5 billion people that don't know Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. Five billion people that don't know Jesus Christ. And out of that five billion, they said there's two and a half billion that don't have any chance to hear the gospel. They live in a place where there's no gospel message. 
There's no missionaries, no pastors, no radio, nothing happening among them. Zilch. Zero. Nothing happening. Two and a half billion. Coming down to people groups, that's about 3,100 people groups with nothing of the gospel. That has to do something for us. If that doesn't shake you up a little bit, you need to check your spiritual pulse. That needs to say something to you and me. Well, what are we doing about it? And I love this church because I know you're mission-minded and and mission-hearted, and uh, I commend you for that. But some of us sit here and say, okay, two and a half billion people don't know Jesus Christ, haven't heard anything about Jesus Christ. What are we doing about it? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. Um, Real quick, um, they say 95% of the missionaries go to already reached areas that have the gospel, that have a chance to hear. They're they're doing good stuff, and they're ministering in uh, the name of Christ, but they're not bringing the gospel to anybody. They've, They've already heard the gospel, but they say there's one missionary for every 13,000 people that have a chance to already have heard the gospel. But they say again, there's one missionary for every 160,000 that have not heard the gospel. The equity is not very good there. So we need to be thinking, how do we get people there? They say 1.6% of all mission income goes to the reach, those 3,100 language groups that have nothing of the gospel. The other 98% Point four percent goes to already reached people. Something wrong with the equity there. Air Proverbs says this: What is the greatest crime in the desert? Finding water and telling no one. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I know about the living water, don't we not? That the gospel is true, and I love the worship um, group that you have up here, and the songs are solid. And you can hear the gospel through them. We know the gospel. We've heard the gospel. And it is a crime that we sit on it and don't share it with other people. That's what that proverb says. In the book, Beyond Duty says this, The church of God does not have a mission in the world. The God of mission has a church in the world. And we need to be involved in that around the world, not just here in Tehachapi, not just in Palmdale or Bakersfield or California, but around the world. John Piper says this. Missions is the overflow of our delight in God because missions is the overflow of God's delight in being God. So I want us to get it. The first thing I want us, two things today, I want us to get God's heartbeat for the world. God's heartbeat for the world. So Mexico Caravan Ministries is a mobilization ministry. We bring in people from Canada and the U.S., we're not seeing very many Canadians right now because they haven't been able to come in, but they're starting to. So hopefully next year we'll see more Canadians back. Um, but what's the point of mobilization? We mobilize people, Christ followers, for missions. We teach on missions, and we have simple houses that people build. We go out to, uh, we now call it Shantytown Esperanza, means hope. And uh, the church there has actually renamed it and called it Esperanza. And we go to some uh, Casa Gods to help out the kids there. But uh, what's the point of mobilization? It's to release millions of hours of prayer and finances and workers into the harvest force. To see churches planted, discipled, reaching out in their own cultures, and then into other cultures. All in order to glorify God together for eternity. 
That's what mobilization does. That's what we're about. That's what we need to be about as a church. And I love this church, and I think you're about that. Um, in, in the core of that, you have uh, elders and pastors that are sold to that. And I appreciate that so much. But I want to look at real quick the great thing of Genesis Revelation. It's not just two books. It's not the Old Testament book and the New Testament book. It's one book. And it's one story. And it feeds from Genesis all the Revelation. It doesn't just say, oh, there's a new, new thing going on. It is God's redemptive act all the way from Genesis all the way down to Revelations. And what has happened is the fall has come, and Jesus says, and God through Jesus says, hey, I want them back. I redeem them back. I want them back. I want to love them and care for them and show them mercy and grace through my good news. And it starts in Genesis. So we're going to look at real quick man's sin, sin consequences, and God's grace. And we're going to look at it with the fall, uh, Cain and Abel, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. So think about the fall for a minute. Where is man's sin in the fall? Disobedience, right? The serpent said, hey, God told you not to eat. It's okay to eat. They ate, right? God told them not to, but they ate. It was disobedience. What was man's uh, sin's consequence there? Anybody? Death, right? Eventually death, but they got kicked out of the garden. And where was God's grace? This is huge. It's in Genesis 3.15, where he's putting out the reflex of the fall, and he says, listen, serpent, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You might bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That is the first time we get to see the prophecy of the Messiah. God says, I'm going to redeem you back. And it starts bringing in the whole thing from there on. And I want to encourage you to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I have a friend, uh, Brooks Buser. He says, if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're probably not going to understand the Gospels. And so we need to look at that. And that's where the grace came in. And then we, we have uh, Cain and Abel. What is man's sin in Cain and Abel? murder, right? Cain takes Abel out. So what was sin's consequence? Cain got to wanderer, remember? God said you'll never till the ground again. That you'll wander around. Where was God's grace in that? There was a mark on Cain's head, right? And he says, no one's going to kill him. If they do, they will be cursed. And so he got, until I take him out, he's just going to wander around. And then we see the fall. What's man's sin in the fall? Everything, right? Everything that they did was sinful. Evil. And with God's grace was the flood, right? I mean, no, that's, sorry. The sin's consequences, not that. Not God's grace. But the consequences was the flood. Moses, I mean, no, I'm messing up the stories. Noah worked for a hundred years on this boat. No one knew what a boat was. The ark. And then the flood came. So where was God's grace? In Noah. In the ark. Eight people. And start over. And then, now we have the Tower of Babel. What was man's sin in Tower of Babel? Pretty much the same as the fall, right? God says something, but I'm going to do opposite. I'm going to rebel. And then what was sin's consequences? 
They were scattered, right? Their, their language was uh, confused, and that's where we get language groups from. And there's 3,100 language groups today that have nothing of the gospel, nothing going out there. But what was God's grace in that? We don't see it until Genesis 12, 2, when God said this to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And get this, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And I know you get taught this in this church about the nations, the nations, people groups, pay ethne, language groups. From the beginning, God wanted a people who would obey and glorify him so all the people of the earth would sit up and take notice of God. And he still wants the same thing. King David knew it. He wrote it in Psalm 67. He says, let all the people... Praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You will judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Not only did David know it, Jesus mandated it. He said, go into all the world in Mark 16, 15, and preach the gospel to all creation. Then Paul purposed it, and he said this, I thus I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, that I might not build on anybody's foundation. I want to take it out and go to people that haven't heard. And then Peter understood it by saying this in Acts 10, 34. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but is a command to be obeyed, Hudson Taylor says. So three things that are evident in people who get God's heartbeat for the lost. One is they pray. They pray in confession for themselves. And they pray for others in the body of Christ to get it. And they pray for the world and the needs there. Then they present themselves and say, God, use me any way you can to bring you honor and glory throughout the nations. And they purpose, the next thing is they purpose in their hearts to obey his commands. And I hope that's you. I hope you pray in confession and say, God, maybe my heart hasn't really been taken by the needs of the two and a half billion people that don't have any chance to hear the gospel. Father, I present myself to you and I purpose in my heart to obey your commands. You know, I, I brought this. This is actually my friend Brooks uh, Spear. We, we keep it at Caravan in safekeeping for him. And Brooks was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And uh, he uh, was given this spear by his tribal father. And the reason he gave it to him is because to become a man in their village, when they moved in, they said that um, to become a man, you have to kill a pig at night with a spear and a bush knife. And so Brooks and his two missionary uh, other guys, the team, they asked him, have you ever killed a pig? And they said, no. And one said, well, I shot one. And uh, they said, no, that doesn't work. You've got to kill him with a spear. And so they called them uh, overgrown boys. That they were, um, I know that made people nervous. I'm on the edge. But um, I haven't fell off for a while. So um, 
maybe today's the day. Um, but they said, no, you got to kill a pig. So they did that. But I want you to look at the spear. I'm holding it right here. It's balanced, right? Okay, if I shift it, it's not balanced. The reason it's balanced is so when they throw in a pig, it can go down at a right angle and, and hit the pig right in the back and kill it, and they, then they became a man. Brooks killed his first pig with that. If you look real close, you could maybe find still a drop of blood, but I think most of it's worn off because I grab it all the time. Um, but he killed his first pig with it. But I want you to notice something. This is the tip of the spear, right? It only takes out about 10% of the spear. So we want people to be the tip of the spear, people that will go to East Asia, to West Africa, to the stands, to the places that it's tough to get into. We want them to go and be on the tip of the spear. But that's only 10% of it. Then you have about 90% of the spear, and that's you and me that stay behind that need to be sanctified cinders to really make it balanced and really to have the power that it needs. If you just take the tip of the spear and go out, it just becomes a knife. You can't thrust it anywhere. It takes the 90% to make it happen. And that's us. It's sanctified cinders. That's what we're going to look at the rest of our time here. And so take out your things, and we're going to look at um, what it takes to be sanctified cinders. And the word, and I'm going to clarify, I clarified first. I am saying the word cinders, okay? Not sinners. I don't want you, and hopefully we're sanctified sinners, um, but we're going to be cinders, okay? Because I sort of slur my words sometimes. So, cinders. And this is what it says in Romans. This is where we get it. For who, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, uh, Romans 10, 13 is where we're at. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Again, 10% is going to be the tip of the spear. You have some here today that are the tip of the spear. But they're only out there because we're the shaft. And we have the power to throw them out there and thrust them out there and keep them going. And that's what we're going to look at today. So to be a sanctified sinner, uh, sinner is to um, be set apart. That's all that word sanctified is set apart. To see the Savior's name supreme in the nation. That's my hope and prayer for me and for you and the ones that are going out in the tip of the spear. That we see the Savior's name supreme in the nation. And the first thing it takes for a sanctified Cinder is that we are surrendered. Surrendered is the first blank. Surrendered to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Again, it's talking about purity of sexuality, but it's also saying the truth of what we're bought by. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We need to understand that. We need to surrender that and say, man, it's not my own. I don't get to call the shots. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. For us to be sanctified senders, we, it starts with us understanding we're not our own. You don't get to call the shots. We want to. We want to be 
concerned about safety, comfort, and security. That's what we get drawn to. But God says, I gotcha. You're mine. You're not your own. You don't get to call the shots. But here in the United States, we like to be in control, don't we? We like to say, it's all about me. It's not all about us. It's all about him, if we're believers in this room. And to say, here's my body. I present myself as a living sacrifice. And that's if, if we're on the tip of the spear or with the shaft, the same thing. We need to surrender and say, here it is. I have a good friend, Zach Shira. He's also um, on the radius board with me, and I've known Zach for many, many years. And I'll just tell you that, um, hopefully he won't hear this um, live stream, but if he does, oh well, I'll deal with it. Maybe he won't support me next month. But anyway, uh, I know that he supports at least 12 missionaries, a substantial amount. Zach makes a lot of money. He brings in a lot of money. He makes, he's, he's wealthy. He's something that I will never be. Um, but he s uses that money to support at least 12 missionaries. He supports two organizations I know for sure. One is Radius, one is Mexico Caravan Ministries. And he has surrendered his life and said, I want to see the gospel go out to the nations. And I surrender myself. Here it is. This is what you've given me, God. I give it back to you. It's not mine. My money is not mine. My children are not mine. That's what Zach says. He prays for his children that some of them will go to the field and go to the nations. I know that. I've sat with them and talked with them about it and watched them weep over that. He surrendered. Are you surrendered today? To say, man, I want to I be this shaft. I want to be a part of this, the 90% to get people out there. But it starts with you saying, it's not your life. And your life needs to be a living sacrifice. Say, God, here it is. Here's me. And the second thing is that a sanctified sender not only surrenders, but they encourages, they encourage the saints. They encourage the saints. And Philemon or Philemon or however you pronounce it says this, I thank my God always, making mention you in my prayers, in verse 4, because I hear of your love and the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may uh, become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. See, a sanctified sinner encourages the saints. They look for ways in this church to minister to people and hear about the hurts and the needs around. And you look for them and you pray for them and you rally around them and you pray for them and you cry with them and you support them. And also around the world in understanding the needs that are out there. They look, for, they look for missionary needs and be praying for them. And I, I love that with this church. I know that you're looking for ways to encourage the saints. And uh, hopefully you can look even this coming Saturday, even more of that at your conference. How do you do that? See, we're here to encourage the saints here in the U.S. and then in the world. To be encouraged the missionaries that are on the field. The second, uh, third thing is a sanctified sinner notices the needs of the world. Again, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 10 when we first pick up Peter. Um, in verse 15 of Acts chapter 10, again, a voice came to Peter the second time. What God has cleansed no longer considered unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in the mind 
what this vision he had seen might be. Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, appeared at the gate. I want to just give you that story a minute if you haven't read Acts chapter 10 for a while. But what was going on that Peter was staying at Simon's house? And what kind of business was Simon in? Does anybody know? You can shout it out. If he was a tanner. Now that was a push for Peter. You know why? What do tanners do? They deal with dead bodies, right? And Peter was very devout Jew, and you don't get to hang out. You don't hang out with people that deal with dead bodies. But Simon was Jewish, but he was a tanner. And so it really made a lot that here's Peter living with a tanner for a while, and now there's this Gentile, Cornelius, who had been praying to God and wanted to know the truth about Jesus Christ. And this vision said, go find Peter. He's staying at the tanner's house, which is different anyway, and then you're going to find Peter. And that's when God sent down and said, hey, here's some pigs, here's some rabbit, here's some things that... You're told not to eat, but I have made them, and they're clean. I want you to eat them, okay? And so Peter said, no way. I've never tasted anything like that, never put it to my mouth. And he was perplexed. But now Cornelius' guys are knocking on his doors. And he goes down, and he meets Cornelius, and he tells Cornelius and presents the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go into all that. But then that, that's when he makes that incredible uh, comment says, now I understand that every man from every nation who comes to Christ is welcome to him. And he says, listen, I'm going to notice the needs around me and see what's out there. We need to notice the needs of the world. And I talked about those a little bit um, this morning. In James 1.22 says this, but prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at the natural face in the mirror. For the one who has looked at himself and, and then gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But one who looked intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religious is worthless. But pure and undefiled religion inside of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To care and notice the needs of the world around us. I, I just want to do a side thing here. You know what? We can house all the homeless people in the world. We can adopt out all the orphans in the world. We can rescue all the sex trade people in the world and um, that are sold into sex slavery. Those are all good things. But if we don't bring the gospel, we don't let them know that there's a way out for them for eternity, then we miss the boat. So just justice ministries or serving ministries, and we do that at Caravan. We build simple structures so people have a place to live. We go to Esperanza. We go to the Casa Lugares. But if we don't bring the gospel, we're missing the boat. And that's why we want to see people that go and, and do whatever entry strategy they need to to get into a place. Why? To bring the gospel, to plant a church, to disciple elders, and leave a functioning church when they leave. 
And if we just uh, help them economy-wise, if we just give them a place to live, if we just adopt them into a family, we missed a boat without bringing the gospel. That's just a little side note. And uh, don't want to offend you with that, but that's just reality. We need to know people are lost, and we heard that. There's 5 billion people that don't know Jesus. 2.5 billion people have never heard. We need to do something about it. We need to find out about how to speak the truth to them. We need to study and pray for them in the spiritual needs uh, geographically. As much as we can, we need to know about them. So the next thing is we surrender. We're encouraging the saints. We notice the needs of the world. And then we're dedicated to live simply. Dedicated to live simply. But I rejoice in, in Philippians 4. 10 says this, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share in my afflictions. And they gave him a gift, and he does that. And then, in Matthew 6, 25 uh, through 33, I'm not going to read it all, but it says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or drink, or what, uh, about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body much more than clothing? And then he goes on to about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Sanctified cinders are dedicated to live simply. First of all, they pay off their debts. And I want to challenge you to think of that. Hey, you want to be the best part of this uh, sphere you can be, the shaft? Man, be debt-free. Work the debt-free so you can give more and be a part of that and really help. And work to be debt-free. The old man, no, uh, no man nothing or anything. And that's... That's what I, my wife and I strive to. We, we have no debts other than our monthly payments of, uh, that sounds bad, but, you know, paying off our phone and those type of things. You know, we have a credit card. We uh, pay it off every month. We don't have a mortgage. We don't have a new car. And so we need to ask, man, let's, how do we pay off our debts? How do I live on what I really, just what I need? And I want to challenge you to be thinking about, what's it take for a missionary to live abroad? And maybe not to live um, any higher than that. Say, this is what I can live on. That's what they're living on. And I'm going to take my uh, salary. I'll keep getting the salary, but I want to just live on the same salary a missionary would live on. And uh, do that. Say, what do I really need? Maybe you need to sell the things that you don't really need. And look at, man, I know I can go into your house and find some stuff to sell. I can go in my house. I can really go into my wife's part of the house, and I know she needs to sell something. <laughs> but she will say, I have more stuff than her. But anyway, um, it's easy to be censorious and judge her than myself. So, um, But, uh, you know, we have stuff to sell. What I would challenge you is to have what I call them 1040 uh, garage sales. That means, hey, you have missionaries that are working in the 1040 window. Take your stuff, sell it, help them out, and give the money to them. And uh, have a garage sale, not for yourself, so you get more m money for yourself, but you can give it so the gospel can go out. Because I know you got stuff to sell, guaranteed. If you want me to help you, I'll come over to your house and tell you what you should sell. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, but we need to spend wisely. We need to ask 
what I have and what I'm doing, is this advancing the kingdom? Is this pushing things forward for the kingdom? You don't need to buy new stuff. My, uh, my wife and I have been married this August 44 years. Long time. She put up with me for a long time. Um, hopefully we'll go another 44 years. Maybe. Um, probably not. Probably be in heaven before then. But anyway, um, we have worked hard not buying new stuff. I bought a new recliner. We bought one refrigerator and one a washer. Guess what? All three of those we bought new are gone. They're broke. They're done. And so we just buy used stuff. You don't need to buy new everything. We haven't bought a new car since 2002. I won't buy a new car. I can't afford a new car. <coughs> In fact, you can't find new cars now because they're all backed up um, because no one's working on them. And uh, even used cars are expensive. So just buy used. We drive old cars. Our newest car is a 2013, and I bought it because it was wrecked, and we fixed it up. So you can live simply, dedicated to live simply. Don't buy in payments. A sanctified sinner is dedicated to live simply. And I just want to challenge that uh, to you this morning. And uh, the next one is they, they're enveloped, they envelop themselves in God's heartbeat. They envelop themselves in God's heartbeat. And uh, Ma- uh, Malachi 1, 10 through 12 says this. Oh, that one among you would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle the fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great, where? Among the nation. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name, and grain offered that is pure. He says, listen, be cared about the nations. They envelop themselves in God's heartbeat for the nations, for the lost, the people that are out there. Psalm 67, I read a little bit earlier, but it says this. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the earth yield its produce, O God. Our God, he blesses us. God blesses us. Why? That all the earth may fear him. We're blessed to be a blessing. Brooks, who this spirit belongs to, he came home from the mission field. I mean, um, as a kid, he was an MK. His parents were on the field. He came home and got a job was working, making a lot of money, and looking at God's Word and just said, you know, i got to go back. Just reading what God's Word says, I'm young enough, uh, sharp enough, strong enough, I'm going to go back. He went back and then spent 14 years in Papua New Guinea. So we need to um, have that heart for the, the loss. We need to pray for the unreached. Find out where those 3,100 language groups are and be praying for them. You can go on Joshua Project. Sometimes Joshua Project can get a little weird on who they call unreached and who they don't. But there's some good things there that you can use anyway. There's 3,100 language groups. Find out who they are, where they're at, and how to pray for that people groups and for the countries there. Love God and love people. We need to envelop ourselves with God's heartbeat. And his heartbeat says, I want him back. I'm redeemed him back through what my son did on the cross. I want him back, and I want my people to be concerned about that. And that's what we need to be if we're going to be sanctified sinners. And the last one is that we need to recognize the importance of the Spirit's leading. We need to recognize the importance of the Spirit's leading. In Acts 13, 
Now there was at Antioch in the church, there was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, who had been brought up with the Herod of Tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work I have called them. When they, uh, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. You do that here. You're going about ministry, you're serving, you're trying to be a good witness in this community, but as you're praying, as you're uh, leading, as you're discipling, people get raised up out of this church. Jimmy's one of them. Okay, And you prayed over him, um, placed hands on him, and sent him out. And, they, and that needs to continue. Then in uh, Acts 20, we see the Apostle Paul. Uh, from Miletus, to, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said, You know yourselves from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. But I did not shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And get this. Hear this. I love this. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, recognizing the Spirit's leading, I'm on the way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions wait for me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so I may finish my course in the ministry that the Lord Jesus has given me. Do you get that? Now let's say I come to you today and say, the Spirit told me that on the, when you get home today, people are there to persecute you for your faith. You're probably going to get beat up or maybe kicked out of your house. You know what? If you're like me, I said, well, I'm not going home. I'm, I'll go the other direction. I'll go to Bakersfield. No, you don't want to go to Bakersfield. Go to Santa Barbara or someplace like that. Um, don't go to Bakersfield. But head somewhere else. But no. Paul says, all I know is that bonds and afflictions wait me, but I'm going. And if you follow that story out in Acts, they wept because they knew he was going to take off. And they probably never see him again. And they didn't. They recognize the Spirit's leading. Are you recognizing the Spirit's leading in your own life and the lives of the young people in this church that you take on mission trips and directions of that? And to send more people out to place your hands and fast over them and pray over them and send them out. That's sanctified senders. But sanctified senders need to be surrendered people. They need to encourage the saints. They need to notice the needs around the world. They need to be dedicated to live simply. They need to envelop themselves in the heartbeat, God's heartbeat. And they need to recognize the Spirit's leading. And all that is done in every area. You need to pray at each of those levels. Ephesians 6 says this, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that the utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. We need to be praying at each level as we surrender, as we encourage, as we notice the needs, as we're trying to be dedicated to live simply, as we 
uh, envelop ourselves in God's heartbeat for the lost and as we recognize the Spirit. We need to pray at each level. Philippians 4 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. That word guard is where we get the word garrison, where he puts an army around us, a, a small group of army men around us. And that's what we're doing is we pray for Jimmy, and we pray for other people that are on the field somewhere. We're rallying around them. We need to pray at each level. And real quick, as I wrap up, I got just a few minutes. Um, we as sinners, and I know your church do, does a lot of this really well, and I'll just hit them really quick. We need uh, sanctified sinners need to be looking for four different types of people. One is that people that are searching, like when you take them on mission trips, you need to be searching them, um, taking them on more short terms. You can take them with us with Dive Into Asia. That's out on our uh, thing. It's a two-week program. We're going in um, to Asia, and uh, you can uh, join us with that if you're 18 to 25. Uh, get them involved in your missions committee here. Help them read mission books. Have them read about Adoniram Judson, uh, John Patton. Get them to um, read some of those books. Alice Gladys Allward, other ones. Have them start looking at countries. What countries have unreached people groups in them? What's a people group? Train them, teach them that. People that are searching about missions, help them study about missions. Get them involved in uh, program. Um, missions Essentials, hopefully, is going to come out here in this next year through Radius and get them involved in that. I used to push people to perspectives, but I have some um, different things with that now. But um, Missions Essentials should be coming around and you see that, get involved. And then we need to look for people that are preparing. Help them with their schooling. Get behind them financially and how you can best help them. A lot of kids will say, man, I'm just struggling so much, I just can't get the finances to keep my schooling going. And so help them with that. Help them with training. Get them involved in looking at Radius. Go to Radius Days, and you do that here in this church well. Um, there's other training centers like NTC, but Radius is the best. I'm on the board there, so I can say that. So anyway, um, get them involved in that. Strategy. What, what is their strategy if they're going to go in the field? Um, and help them start looking at some sending agencies and what's the best one that fits for them and that teaches things well. And then people that are going, people that are going need money, financial help. Decide how much you're going to sacrifice to help somebody get there. Um, look at your sacrificial giving and how that's going to help. Uh, again, back to uh, strategic living and how you spend stuff. The materials, be the researchers, be their gatherers, be their packers. Be men power. Help them clean out their houses. You get to really send them off. Repair partners for them. Uh, help them put a harvest group or a support group together. Be their publicist. Let people know their needs. It's hard for a missionary to always stand up and say, these are our needs. You stand up and tell them what you, their needs are, and you do that for them. Do prayer vigils for them as they're leaving and uh, as they're on the field. When they're getting ready to present the gospel to their um, people group, Man, do 24-hour prayer groups. Um, we've done that multiple times. We did that for Brooks Group, where our church just, for um, two days straight, we just did 24 hours. Somebody was at the church praying as the gospel was presented. Um, and then people that are coming, uh, furlough, home assignments. Uh, they're home for six months or a year. Um, they come home for a lot of different reasons. People come home because um, 
it's just time to come home uh, for their home assignment or there's been field problems or um, visas are not working out or there's persecution or have to evacuate for some reason. Physical health, cancer, uh, sickness. We had some friends that just came home because uh, they spent eight years in Asia and her psoriasis got so bad she just had open sores all the time, bleeding all the time and needed to come home and, and get well. Um, and so we need to meet them when they come home and help them out. I know some friends had cancer. When they landed in San Diego, um, they already had an oncologist appointment wait, waiting for them. They had a telephone um, that was all primed with all numbers, and they had a cell phone that worked in San Diego from a small group there. They had a car waiting for them. They had housing waiting for them. You do that well here. Sometimes you need to have uh, provide counseling for people when they come home. It's hard sometimes when they're coming home and they're battling with stuff on the field and feeling lonely and feeling abandoned or whatever, and they just need counseling and help. So find a good biblical counselor for them. Then the other thing is know to, when to love them and rally around them and know when to leave them alone. When they're home for a short time, sometimes they just need a break and they need to be away from people. Send them off to the beach somewhere. Give them a place to stay. Um, Maggie and I are having, we are building a, it's almost done, an apartment above our house in Rosarito for pastors and missionaries. So when they're home, they have a place to escape to. And uh, we're just real close to the beach, and so they can come down and stay with us, and we'll make it really affordable for them. So um, things like that. So that's it. Um, we need to find people that are searching, preparing, going, and coming. Uh, and just remember that sanctified sinners are surrendered. They encourage the saints. They notice the needs of the world. They're dedicated to live simply. Uh, and they envelop themselves in God's heartbeat, and they realize the importance of God's leading. And remember, we want to balance missionary life. There's going to be people on the tip of the spear, but we're the shaft, and we're going to get them with, there with power and with thrusting them because the 90% back here, and that we're understanding what our place is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the truth of it. May we be sanctified sinners. And then the ones that are zealous goers, that we're behind them, and we get them where they need to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.